see those faces. Um, but today, obviously, I'm wearing a different hat. I'm coming here to talk to you a bit about the charity that I work for, Hope at Home. Um, and I'll t talk to you about that a little bit later. Um, today is the 12th of March. Uh, we're well into the season of Lent, uh, preparing ourselves for Easter. Um, people seem to have mixed reactions, don't they, to, to Lent, whether they're going to give up something for Lent or not. Um, I know when my children were teenagers, one of my children was very keen. Every year she'd always give up chocolate and crisps and snacks and things like that. But the other one, not the slightest bit interested. So we do have sort of mixed feelings about fasting for Lent. I've been looking up online some great ideas about what you could fast for, for Lent. Not that I'm suggesting you do them now, you know, it's no pressure. It's no, but what about giving up complaining? <laughs> oh, that's a reaction there. Uh, what about critical self-talk, self when we talk about ourselves critically? Perhaps giving that up. Or not looking in the mirror. Can you imagine not looking in the mirror for 40 days? Um, not checking your phone in the morning? That's a good one. Um, today uh, we're going to be looking at Isaiah 58. Um, and Isaiah, I'm going to touch briefly on it now, but uh, Lucy's going to come and uh, emphasise it and expand on it later. This chapter talks about true fasting and worship. And it emphasises one of the key messages in Isaiah, which is that God's people are meant to reflect his heart. Throughout Isaiah, we repeatedly read about Isaiah's struggle with disobedience and being inconsistent in demonstrating and concern for the things that reflect God's heart. That is the poor and the vulnerable and matters of justice. In this passage, God makes it clear that he's not interested in empty rituals like fasting, but in heartfelt humility and life-giving action. I'm just going to read verses 3 to 7. I know on the screen it has from verse 6, but I'm just going to start with verse 3. This is the Israelites. Why have we fasted, they say, and you've not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed? This is Isaiah. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarrelling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself. Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed or for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. 
We see here in verse 3 that the, the people in Israel fast in a way that promotes self-righteousness and self-absorption rather than authentic humility and concern. Emptied of love, such ritual observance will, as it says in verse 4, not make your voice be heard on high. And verse 6 to 7 points out that genuine fasting promotes justice rather than neglect, providing food to the hungry and shelter to the homeless. I'd like to tell you a little bit about Hope at Home, how we provide shelter to the homeless and how you might, with us, promote justice rather than neglect. According to the Global Slavery Index in um, 2021, 100,000 people were involved in modern slavery in the UK at any given time. If you could just move the slide on, Caleb, that would be great. So in the same year, 12,727 12, referrals were made to the NRM. This is the agency that provides support to individuals. These are the, just the numbers that we know of, obviously. Before we look at types of slavery and exploitation, I just want to briefly um, highlight the difference between people smuggling and human trafficking. It can get confusing. People smuggling is illegally transporting consenting people from one country to another. On arrival, they're free to go their own way. This is a terrible crime, very much in the news at the moment, but it is a crime against the state. Human trafficking, however, is recruiting, transporting, harbouring or receiving people through force, fraud or coercion with the aim of exploiting them for profit. They are people that are in the, under the control of others. It's a crime against the individual. There are five different types of slavery and exploitation. Sexual exploitation, domestic servitude, which is where people are brought over to be a paid slave, basically, in a household. Forced labour, um, often we see um, this on building sites or car washes. Criminal exploitation, uh, very much on the up here. L young people running county lines to transport drugs, particularly into rural areas, or even forced begging. And then organ harvesting. Incredible, isn't it? To understand where Hope at Home help, we're going to look at a survivor's journey. Once a survivor escapes or is released through a police raid, they are referred to what we call the NRM and offered support and accommodation. Um, this accommodation will often be um, in a safe house or asylum-seeking accommodation or even hotel. They may go in and out of support during this time according to the stage that their case is at. But at, um, they are very vulnerable at this stage. They're vulnerable to being re-trafficked. Traffickers know where these places are. Um, I'm sure some of you will have heard the tragic story recently about a hotel in Brighton whose photo was leaked to the press. Many children went missing at that time, having been promised work by traffickers that were waiting for them. 
Hope at Home aims to provide safe homes for survivors within people's family homes where they're not at risk of being re-trafficked. We are, Hope at Home, the only UK hosting scheme for survivors of modern slavery. We train and support our hosts, and we work in partnership with other organisations who support the guests. Our hosts are flexible, adaptable, have a sense of humour, we're open to learning new things and learning about different cultures, and most importantly, welcoming, of course, and have a spare room. You can host if you are retired, if you are single, if you are working full-time or part-time, or if you're not working at all, or if you have a family, or we have hosts from all those um, areas of life. So, just to finish on, I want to tell you one of my guest stories. Let's call her Susan. She's a young Eastern European woman brought over to be sexually exploited. She was referred to us by the Salvation Army, living in a safe house but at risk of being re-trafficked. After the matching process, we moved her in with one of our hosts and she's starting to rebuild her life. She goes to English classes regularly. She goes to groups that support her within the community and within the church. She, um, learnt, she's learning to cook. She's making fantastic baking, fantastic cakes for her family. And her hosts uh, have a piano, and one of her greatest joys is actually being able to learn the piano. She sent me a message a few weeks ago. She said, Thank you so much, Gwen, for the good opportunity you gave me to live in a wonderful family. Isaiah 58, later on, verse 12 says, You shall be called the repairer of broken walls, the restorer of streets to dwell in. I want to encourage you. Would you be able to help rebuild and repair some of the walls? If anything I've said this morning has stirred you, I am available at the back later, so please do come and speak to me or look online at hopeathome.org.uk. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Gwen. That's yeah, wonderful. Um, you'll see in a second because we so want it. We want our preaching here and our teaching to be something that draws and disciples us in our love and devotion to Jesus, but it outworks itself into the way that we live our lives as well. Discipleship isn't just something that we say, it's something that we do. And so we've been talking about these, these last few weeks. You are what you love. If you love these things, if your heart is moved, you live differently. So we want to move our hearts again this morning. And um, as Gwen shared, like this is an opportunity and we're so grateful that individuals here who have been hosting people from Ukraine that have, that have you know, here, I'm part of us. What a blessing to those individuals. And again, we just think, could God this morning be moving someone's or some people's hearts this morning to extend their hospitality and their hosts and their homes to individuals that are so in need? So um, fantastic to hear. Right, Lucy, come and join us. This is actually, so this is Luce. 
Lucy's married to Rich and Lucy is as well and we had last week because Chris was here from Victoria Baptist Lucy is a daughter of Victoria Baptist Church aren't you that is the church that Lucy grew up in Eastbourne and so it's when I first met her when she was at the church there and her and Rich were in London moved back down to Eastbourne now probably five years ago four years ago back in team we love having them in team with us I love being in church with them and I just know as well when Lucy shares some of this stuff she she provokes and inspires me in the way that I would respond to some of these things and so to be considering how we are how we've got eyes that see people in need but also that we have hearts that respond to it not just see but that we do as well and I know that Lucy's built her life in that way and I see it represented in the way that she brings up her kids and that she lives it and yeah she demonstrates it to us so let's give Lucy a huge warm welcome she's going to be talking through from Isaiah as well all right Um, this is scary. <laughs> um, I am really happy that I get to wear Britney mic, though, so thanks for that. Um, seriously, though, when Ollie asked me to speak about this, I felt really excited, but I feel really heavy about it as well, especially hearing from Gwen, because I know I can name individual women that we're supporting that have gone through those situations, and, um, and I'll tell you a little bit more about what we do as well. Um, I'm just going to start with a prayer that's all right good place to start so lord thank you so much for the way that you open our hearts you get us to hear um your word in fresh ways and i pray that we would just be open to hearing what you've got to say today and that i would do you justice um and that people would would go away taking action not just hearing but taking action based on your word amen for those who don't know me then i'm lucy i'm married to rich he's a worship pastor here today we've traded places um, on a Sunday, normally I'm running around trying to get my kids off the stage, so I've had to sort of switch from mum mode to um, preaching mode, which is quite hard. Eight years ago, myself and Holin, who's hopefully here, we'll give us a wave, Holin, we started a charity called Bramber Bakehouse. I'm now the chief executive of Bramber Bakehouse, get to lead the team there. Um, who was here when we started? Show of hands, who remembers Bramber when it started? Who remembers Sellout Brownies? Yes, yeah, coming to a place near you soon, I'm sure. Um, basically, for those of you that don't know, we work with women who've experienced violence, abuse, exploitation or displacement. We want to break the cycles of poverty and injustice that they face, and the model works like this. A woman who has experienced that is referred into our service, they join for our programme, they learn how to bake, they get support with their mental health and wellbeing, they are equipped with valuable life skills, surrounded by a loving community, they get 12 months of support after that, and then they enter, hopefully, the world of work, volunteering or education, therefore changing their lives forever. I can honestly say it's one of the greatest joys of my life, and I feel quite emotional talking about it. For those that we support, it's absolutely life-changing, and for some, it's life-saving. When we started out, Isaiah 58 was the reason that Holly and I started it. And so I thought, where better to start today? They didn't tell me what passage to preach from. They said, you can choose. So I thought, yes, brilliant. So Isaiah 58. Um, I'm going to read from the message. So it's a little bit different to what Gwen's, the version that Gwen's read from. But it helps us to translate it in a fresh way. And it, and it uses everyday language. So I hope it'll be helpful for us. Before I start, I want to ask you a really simple question. What does it make look like to you to make the community livable again? 
With this in mind, let's take a look together at Isaiah 58. We're going to start from verse 6. It's really helpful to have a bit of context on Gwen. Um, can I get the words on screen, please? This is the kind of fast day I'm after, to break the chains of injustice, get rid of exploitation in the workplace, free the oppressed, cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families. Tricky. Do this and the lights will turn on. Your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. Then when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help and I'll say, here I am. If you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sins. If you are generous with the hungry, you start giving yourselves to the down and out. Your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadow lives will be bathed in sunlight. I'll always show you where to go. I'll give you a full life in the emptiest of places. Firm muscles, strong bones. I'd like firm muscles and strong bones. Um, you'll be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew. Rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything. Restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate. Make the community livable again. Wow, I'd like to make the community live for again, wouldn't you? I just want to give a little bit of context here. During the time, people were taking part in religious practices. They were observing the customs of the time, they were fasting, they were saying the right things, but they were doing so with selfish ambition. It lacked spiritual substance, and ultimately they weren't connecting with the heart of God. Enough was enough. God sets it out plainly and simply, and he's not just talking about fasting. He wants this to become a way of life to everyone who follows him. It's not news to anyone that we're living in the rubble of a broken society. Take Eastbourne as a tangible example. Eastbourne has the most widely used food bank in the whole of the UK. 500 people visit a food bank, of which there are seven satellites in Eastbourne, every single week. 500 people. I say this tentatively, given the news, but we, we should be a town who welcome refugees and asylum seekers. I think we do a great job of that here in the church. Isaiah tells us that we should, but did you know they get just £45 per week to pay for everything they need? Everything. King's Church sits within one of the most deprived neighbourhoods in Eastbourne. Household incomes in Hampden Park, just down the road, currently the lowest across the town. And we all know bills are continuing to rise. People talk about it being a great leveller, don't they? But that's not technically true. Everyone's affected, but the poor are getting poorer. They're the most affected. And unfortunately, right now, it's left to individuals and charities to pick up the pieces. Here's just a few things that nationwide people are facing. Isolation, anxiety, trauma, poverty, a lack of connection, fear. That's just a few. I used to work in Covent Garden, centre of London. It was amazing. It was full of shops, which is a problem for me, as Rich knows. Restaurants, it was a hot spot for tourists. But in the midst of this, over 2,000 people are homeless in Westminster every single year. Every day on my way to work, I'd see John. 
He solved the big issue, and we'd often exchange a nod or a smile of acknowledgement. Recently out in Brighton, I heard this voice. Big issue! <laughs> there was no doubt it was John. I was obviously surprised to see him there, and so I asked him why he'd left London. He lived in fear. Every day, he'd lose a friend on the street to violence or ill health. So he had to uproot his quote-unquote home and move to another city for safety. Today, circumstances like this might have led you here, and you might be experiencing life's hardships. I just want to say that you are loved, you are valuable, and you are here for a reason. You have a purpose and something to do here. I really think it's important to acknowledge that because we are a diverse, multifaceted church. So often we talk about churches and charities supporting those who are most vulnerable, and that's what we do at Bramba. But those churches and charities are made up of individual people making individual choices to free the oppressed, feed the homeless, clothe those in need. That means it's Andy, it's Ollie, it's that person at the back that is in church for the first time today. Everyone has a part to play in creating God's kingdom here on earth. It feels big, doesn't it? Who else feels a bit weighty? It should feel heavy. Isaiah is really clear. God wants us to take action. And as a result, your shadow lies will bathe in the sunlight. You'll be like a well-watered garden. You'll be a gurgling spring that never runs dry. I always used to focus on the action in this passage because I'm a bit of a fixer. I like to fix things. But when I was reading this recently, it really got me. If you're bathing in sunlight, you're getting those lovely vitamin D rays. You're glowing. People say that, don't they? Wow, we've been on holiday. You're glowing. It's attractive. You're going directly to the source and you're radiating the glory of the sun. When you're absorbing those beautiful rays, you're absorbing vitamin D. If you don't know the benefits, here are just a few. It strengthens your immune system. It lowers the risk of type 2 diabetes. It regulates your mood. If you have a deficiency of, D, of vitamin D, you're more likely to suffer with depression. The sun sparks joy and enjoy their strength. It strengthens your bones. The scripture says it. Strong muscle, firm bones. Who else wants that? I know I certainly do. <laughs> In the same way, when you're looking after plants and flowers, when you water them, they thrive. They become more attractive. When people are attracted to your way of being and your character, because you're aligned with God, what God wants you to do, it attracts people to Jesus. A gurgling spring that never runs dry, that means running water. Scripture says it, Jesus is the well that never runs dry. We're going straight to the source here, guys. <laughs> there is nothing better than that. We're emanating Christ, and by doing so, attracting those who don't know him to him. Sounds good so far, doesn't it? So who's with me? Who wants to do it? And how do we do it? We all know in church, alliteration is the king, so I've got three Cs. The first one is about connection. I have to see who figures out which one this is when I say this, but Rich and I have been watching a new series. It's set in an apocalyptic world. A disease is turning everyone into zombies. It's not good. <laughs> I, know, I normally hate things like this. Rich really enjoys it, which might surprise you a bit. Um, normally, with this kind of plot line, it's the strong who survive, isn't it? It's those that have the money, the muscle, the power. 
But what struck me and what kept me watching, <laughs> sorry, no, um, is that actually it's, it's, it's really profound because in this, it's actually the poor that, and the marginalised and the elderly and the frail that endure. And it all comes down to connection. In a dev devastated world, they connect, they love, and they survive against the odds. Here's another way of look at it, looking at it. Connection is empathy. Everyone who knows me knows I love Brené Brown. She is a brilliant researcher. She spent two decades studying courage, vulnerability, shame, and empathy. One of her videos really hits the nail on the head, talking about the difference between empathy and sympathy. So I thought it'd be really helpful for us to watch that video. So if you can play the video, please. So what is empathy and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. <laughs> Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, and climb down. I know what it's like down here, and you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, <laughs> it's bad, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, no, you want a sandwich? <laughs> um, empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time. Because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. <laughs> John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. What makes something better is connection. And Isaiah 58 sends this message too. Time and time again, we see in scripture that Jesus shows us connection at its very best. The woman at the well, Zacchaeus, Mary Magdalene, the women with the issue of blood. I'm not going to explain these stories now, but I've put the references on the screen. Take a picture, read them in the week, and think about how Jesus demonstrates his connection to others. 
See, Jesus is actually quite privileged. He's the son of God. But Jesus takes his position, he humbles himself, he gets alongside people, he sits with them, he, ex- he accepts them as they are, and he connects with them. Hello, Becky. Hello. <laughs> a, few, a few years ago with Bramber, we were running a course at King's Catford because we had a lot of women who were being trafficked in the London area who needed support. They were highly traumatised, they were vulnerable, they had gone through unimaginable pain, and they were often really isolated. Over lunch one day, one of the women, Abigail, was questioning our intentions, which is not unusual when you've experienced this and you've built up a distrust. Why would you do this for us? What's the catch? I tentatively told her about our faith and our reason for doing the work we were doing, It was the most memorable moment of my working life. Here was someone asking a question, and because of our connection, I could tell her about Jesus. Connection led me to Abigail. Connection led Abigail to Jesus. What connection can you make? Pick one thing. What gives you fire in your belly? What really gets your goat? Take that, harness it, and build connections that lead people to Jesus. For you, that might be contributing to the food bank each week. It might be that you want to volunteer with Bramber or you want to volunteer at Focus here at the church. It might be that you're going to partner with Hope at Home. It's a big commitment, but I can tell you from experience knowing these women that it is so valuable. It might be that this very week, you witnessed injustice in your workplace and it's time for you to call it out. Wow, relevant for the past 48 hours for anyone who's watching the news at the moment. I'm aware that lots of these are privileged examples. They're related to those who can financially afford to participate in some of those things. But here's some other examples that all of us can use. Get rid of unfair practices. Quit blaming victims. Quit gossiping about other people's sins. You might struggle with the implications of these actions, but it's right there in the text. It's hard-hitting, isn't it? For Holland and I, that looked like ensuring women were free from oppression, make sure they felt valued, loved and worthy, despite the circumstances that life threw at them. Their past did not and does not define their future, and it definitely does not break the journey to Jesus. The second C is commitment. Isaiah 58 asks us to give ourselves It doesn't say do this once and you'll tick a box and you're fine. It means wholeheartedly and completely. Let's not be like the people of the time. They were doing the religious practices, but it was completely hollow in God's eyes. God wants a heart connection. He wants a commitment that will do what he's asked. It's really hard. Perseverance is really, really difficult. Often, we have a habit of saying that the young are unable to to persevere, but we all live in a world where things can come and go. We can leave if we want to. We can move on when it's too difficult, but there's power in commitment. I could lose count of the number of times I wanted to quit from Bramber. Sorry, Holland. (laughs) We've gone through some really tough times. We've built it from the ground up. The easy route would have been to quit. Get an easier job, one that was paid better, one that required less patience, a bit less vigour. But I made a choice eight years ago that I would take the words of Isaiah 58, I would connect and I would commit wholeheartedly until God tells me to move on.
Here's another part of scripture that really got me. It's subtle and it's unsuspecting, but it asks us to be available to our own families. Who finds that a challenge? I know I do. Full-time mum, full-time worker. It's another form of commitment, isn't it? I know everyone's family dynamic is different, but if you have children, we want to commit to supporting them as they channel their emotions. In turn, the hope is that they experience Isaiah 58 through us, and then they go on to outwork Isaiah 58 to their peers. You might not see the full effect straight away. You might not ever see the full effect of this. But the thing about starting with a small flicker or an ember is that with God's support, you can fan that into a flame, and that could have an eternal impact on an individual's life. My third and final point is change. This is what we all want to see. Isaiah is really clear. As a result, you'll make the communities livable again. Let's think about the start of the journey. I mentioned a couple of words, didn't I, about how we're a, a rubble, sort of a society made of rubble. But let's look at how that narrative could change if we fully committed to doing this. Isolation would change to belonging. Imagine if every single asylum seeker and refugee, no matter, matter where or how they're traveling, felt a sense of belonging to a loving community. Imagine if anxiety changed to trust. How far could we go if we simply trusted that those around us would support us, that we didn't have to live with worry of the future? Trauma turned into healing. I can tell you from experience at Brambert that this is absolutely life-changing. It's freeing and it's incredible to witness. The places and things that individuals can do when they heal from their trauma is unimaginable. And what often happens as a result is that they lead others to healing as well. Poverty would change to wealth, and I'm not just talking about financial wealth, I'm talking about spiritual wealth, knowing Jesus. Fear changes to courage. We'd be challenging injustice, getting rid of unfair practices. We'd have a bright, vibrant, thriving community full of courage to live out and fulfil God's kingdom here on earth. We've all seen the news, I'm sure, in the past 48 hours, the fallout of the BBC and Gary Lineker. Regardless of where you stand on it, take courage if you are a Christian in this room. Don't be silent. Despite the consequences, we are all called to speak up, take action, and challenge it when it's wrong. Just imagine for a minute if the seven food banks in Eastbourne had to close. That's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. There's no need for them anymore. People are financially able. They trust their communities to support them when they need it. They heal from their past trauma and as a result they bless and support others. Suddenly the community is livable again. It's in our DNA because we're God's sons and daughters. We are connected to the source. I want to see joy in this room because of that. We are connected to the source. If he cares, we will care. Who's up for the challenge? Underneath your chairs, or on your chairs, you've got an A5 flyer and a pen. In the final five minutes, 
I want you to read back through Isaiah 58 and pick one thing. Think about what's close to home. Make it specific. What can you connect to? Commit to it. Write it down as a sign that you will be accountable for it. Put it somewhere you'll see it every day. It might be the shower door. It might be the fridge door. It might be your car windscreen, although that's slightly concerning, actually. It's probably not there. Um, I'd love to see... I don't know how many people are in the room today. How many people are in the room, Ollie, roughly? More than 10. More than 10. Well, I'm going to say there's 400 of us in this room, okay? Imagine if we have 400 commitments to fulfilling the word of Isaiah 58. Which of these things are you going to do? Once we've done this, Ollie, you can come and pray so we can close together. Let's connect, let's commit, and let's make the community livable again.